Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 180, recorded September 27th, 2014. So, maybe we should change our opening music to Titanic music for this episode. Okay. Because this is all about the sinking of the Enterprise. Oops. The sinking... (laughs) Of the the mighty... Yes, the sinking of the Voyager. Exactly, the mighty Voyager. They said she couldn't sink, which makes sense since she's a spaceship. <laughs> but, but she can, so we find out. Yes, so she was a skipping stone on an alien ocean at the end of last issue. And sinking like a rock. With no power. And we did not know how they were going to get out of there. And, and engineering was almost up to the ceiling in water. And lights were out all over the ship. Right? And I was like, how the heck are they going to get all that air or all that water out so they're not sinking so much? How are they going to do without power? We didn't know. Well, we find out. In issue two. Indeed. Indeed. And then go on to see a fascinating little adventure before they're able to get back on their way again. Yeah, does, does, after the second issue, does it seem like it kind of changes tone a little bit? As far as this miniseries and as a whole, because I thought it was all going to be about the sinking of the ship, not this little side story, which which it, maybe we shouldn't be talking as much about. But yeah, um, yeah I, I agree. I thought it was all going to be about the recovery, uh, but it really kind of is. I mean, it still is. I mean, right. they still they still need to get past those drones, right? They just add a, a, a weird subplot that I thought was maybe a little unneeded, right? But, you know, you got to pat it out the four issues, which you got to do something. Can't just be all sinking and floating on little rafts. <sighs> then, then you would be exactly like Titanic. Exactly. You don't want that. <laughs> uh, we'll end up having Chakotay and Captain Janeway trying to float on a door. No, right. we don't want that. Right. We don't. Although, as we'll see, we have a few other story elements coming in from other places to make a special guest appearance. Yeah, there's uh, there's lots of things borrowed. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, so should we just jump into issue number two? That sounds fine to me. Let's do it. All right, this one's entitled Splashdown. Uh, I guess it's Splashdown number two. Um, Lori S. Sutton is the writer. Terry Pallet pencils. Al Milgram inks. Chris Alopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy are the letterers. Matt Webb colors. Chip Carter underwater, Tim Tui edits, and Bob Harris editor and chief, or editor in chief. All right, so the cover shows Seven of Nine wading in a large pool of water, which used to be engineering, and she's fighting a long green snake creature, which has wrapped itself around her arm. And then the caption reads From the Depths. So the story starts, as the last one ended, with Voyager sinking fast in the ocean planet that they had crashed into. 
in engineering, Seven is in combat with the green snake creature from the cover. It somehow made its way into the ship through the many hull breaches, along with all the water. Seven is able to thwart the creature, but takes some damage to her arm. Torres orders her back to sick bay to get checked out. She refuses, even after being reminded that she's no longer a drone. Eventually, she agrees to get checked out. Torres swims through some Jeffrey's tubes, making her way to something called the Umbilical Interconnect Subprocessor. After a tough time with opening and then shutting a door underwater, she's able to reset the computer there, which allows the force fields to reset and it stops the incoming flow of water throughout the ship. On the bridge, they start to flow the water through the ventilation tubes, but this is not slowing the ship's descent fast enough. They are about to be crushed like a grape. Janeway orders the transporters to beam any water out of the ship. This includes beaming submerged furniture and anything else that happens to be in the way. This helps, but again, not enough to stop the sinking. Janeway then orders the gravity to be turned off. Now that the water and everything else inside Voyager is weightless, the great ship starts to rise. Uh, Across the ship, people are being treated for their minor to somewhat severe injuries. Tuvok detects an energy field not too far from the ship. They hope that this is the controller for the drones, since they need to have them disabled before they breach the surface and are shot to pieces by the uh, swarming drones. Tuvok takes an away team aboard the Arrow Wing to its source. They take the Arrow Wing since it is the most aerodynamic shuttle they have on the ship, and I guess it can go through the water better than the Delta Flyer and other runabouts. The Arrow Wing, in case you do not know, is a small craft embedded in the underneath section of the saucer section. Uh, It is never seen in any episode that I'm aware of, but it was in some blueprints, and it it was even in a few of the novels. So basically, it's the equivalent of the captain's yacht from the Enterprise-E. They arrive to an underwater pyramid that's kind of nestled up next to a volcano. They enter the temple, and they find tons of treasure all over the place. And they suspect that this treasure comes from all over the galaxy, including perhaps the Alpha Quadrant. Suddenly, a wall starts to pulse white, and everyone is surprised on what or who to expect next. To be continued. Well, so that light coming from the wall, what could it be? I don't know. It's kind what of What could it be? Could it be a Stargate? Oops, wrong franchise. No, it's not a Stargate. What are you talking about? Well, it's not round. But Oh, actually, we don't, we don't get a good look at it. Yeah, we don't know that until do next issue. Okay, fine. So right now, it's just per- a pulsating Premature. Wall. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. A pulsating wall of light. Scary. Very scary. Okay. So, the old bait and switch ice today. They were painting a pretty dire picture in the first issue. And uh, things were considerably better off than, than we expected. Yes. They were no longer in the dark somehow. Yes, they had power. Um, right. And all Blana... And... and the water that was appearing to come up to the ceiling and drown everyone in engineering, who are the only people that can turn the power on, um, well, they weren't as bad off as we were thinking. Yeah. Matter of fact, they had time for uh, Seven to have a a cool little sea monster battle. 
Right. Yes. Now, I did say the creature was green, but in the book itself, it's purple, but on the cover, it's green. Yeah. Well, uh, good uh, miscontinuity. Good example of it. But it is cre- it is uh, it is an interesting creature. We only see it looks like a snake, but somehow it's able to lift her up out of the water and hit the roof and then come back down. So I don't know if there's more bulk underneath the water that we just don't see, or right. if it really is just a snake thing. Right. But, yeah. Uh, uh, of course, in the end, she uses her super Borg strength to dispatch with the creature. And I do like her word, her, uh, her off-the-cuff words back to Taurus. About which part? About the disagreement she had with it. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I forgot what the exact wording was, but it was something like, um, yes, it damaged me, but I damaged it a lot more. Or I forgot her exact wording. But the wording was pretty cool. Right. Oh, it sustained comprehensive damage. There you go, Seven. A little, a little understatement. Yeah, I thought it was funny when when she's fighting the creature and the creature's like smashing her into the ceiling. Right. Uh, Taurus is like, "Don't take on that thing." I mean, like she had. Yeah, a like you have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> and then then Seven just the alien's intentions are otherwise. Right. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Seven looks pretty pretty hot on the cover. That's always good. Uh, so the cover was pretty good, even though there's debatable coloring on the sea serpent. Um, yeah, so get back to the main point. So all these things were not as bleak as they were painted in the first issue, the end of the first issue. Um, and sure is a good thing, all Blana has to do is just swim away underwater and, uh, what, turn on a switch or something? Right. I mean, maybe it's a little bit more complicated than turn on a switch, but that was kind of it. That was kind of it, yeah. She had to type in a few things, and they had that countdown going on because the hole was just about... They knew to the second when the hole was going to get crushed. And then she was able to turn it on right at the last second. Not to mention her running out of air because, of course, she had no breathing apparatus. But, right. So. Yeah, and that, that's the thing that I have with this, you know, this whole concept of water flooding all your decks. Yeah. Um, I mean, here they show her in a Jeffrey's tube swimming through, and it's it reminded me a lot of Star Trek Four with with Kirk swimming through the the Klingon ship to get the 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 whales out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as you open the door, all that water rushes in. I mean, and it kind of showed her having a hard time closing the door, but right. I don't buy that she would be able to close it. Yeah. And even if she did, there would be more water in that little room than what what was there. Yeah, there's no way. Even with her Klingon strength. Right. But once she shuts the door, I mean, it's a tiny, like, little closet of a room, right. and the water only goes up to her, her knees, or not even yeah. her knees, her ankles. Yeah. Uh, don't buy that. Yeah, I agree. And there's got to be water damage to all that circuitry, and, right. and isn't it possible you might get electrocuted somewhere <laughs> Right. in all this water that's around, you know, high-voltage stuff? It's engineering of a starship. Anyway. Right. Yeah, and I find it funny that when she's ordering, she's ordering uh, seven to go to medical. Right. Seriously, how are you going to get to medical when there's water everywhere? You can't. Yeah. You can't just jump into a turbo lift and not expect, you know, and expect it to just take her to medical. Uh, right. <laughs> there was well, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. That I was just like, that doesn't really make sense. Right. It's water. You can't trick it. <laughs> you can't trick it. Yeah. 
So, but you know, you, you just got to let a lot of that go. Sure. Because you got to get on with the story, and you know they're going to get out of it. So it's like, okay, fine, whatever. So just accept that, and let's see what happens next. The idea of the idea that they started pumping out uh, the water made perfect sense. Through the ventilation fact, tubes. Well, the fact that the life support system was able to do that, was able to increase the pressure, I guess, internally, and by the way, not like, like crush people's heads, to push out the water was pretty, Im- pretty impressive foresight on the Starfleet engineer's part. But, uh, but then they started doing some things like transporting the water out and also using – they flipped around the artificial gravity. Was that it? Yep. So, so they used – so they flipped the polarity or whatever, the artificial gravity, to uh, not only negate the Earth's gravitational pull but also, I guess, exert some kind of a push. Um, which I would think – wouldn't you think that would be enough? I don't know. And then they had to use thrusters or something, which, again, interesting that the thrusters would even work. Fine. Right, the atmospheric thrusters or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever they were using, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so they start rising so wonderful. And, but I do like the fact that they still had to get past the drones, which makes perfect sense. So it's like a bunch of bees, and they made that analogy in the first issue. It really is like being <laughs> like a bunch of bees attacking you. You can jump into the water, but eventually if your head comes back up, you're going to be there. You're going to be theirs. Right. That's why you had to make get like one of those straw things and just, you know, out of some bamboo that's nearby. Exactly, which is, you know, there's always bamboo. Oh, there is in the cartoons. Exactly. Then the bees go into there and you start getting stung in the mouth. Yes. Yes, it sounds like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. I I think it was. I think it was. Anyways, uh, I kind of liked the idea of beaming the stuff out into the ocean. Right. That, to me, made sense, even though you know, they do say they only have a couple of – they don't have a lot of energy, so they, they can't do it that much. What, what they can. Yeah. But then the artificial gravity being turned off I thought was was a little eh. Yeah. Well, I could see within the ship. Now, what I could see is if – so we know the Millennium Falcon – the way it maneuvers around, uh, and I think I got this when I had read the novel, uh, Star Wars novel, okay. is the Millennium Falcon uh, is able to move around in the, in the air uh, by anti-gravity. So that's how it lifts, which is cool. I mean, the idea of anti-gravity is cool. And, right. and if it truly was anti-gravity lift they were using, rather than just taking the ship's artificial gravity and reversing the polarity... That makes a lot more sense. I mean, because you would think anti-gravity. If you really had anti-gravity lift capabilities built into the ship, then that is so cool in so many ways. And that would work, I would think, as fine in the water as it would in, in open air. Right. Because all you're doing is, is like pushing against the planet's uh, normal gravitational pulls or pushes, whatever. So um, that kind of made sense. But I guess they don't. They don't use that technology, anti-gravity technology, to lift ships in the Star Trek universe? I've never, I've never I've heard never that heard term it. in Star Trek. Right. Me neither, but it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're going to have a starship that actually can, can touch down. Yes, like the giant Enterprise in the new movies. Oh, God. That is kind of weird. But, but I mean, maybe they took 
old comic books like this, which depicted <laughs> depicted a starship underwater as uh, like, well, okay, they did it here. Maybe people will buy it. Well, they did. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yes, yeah, I, I I did notice something that was a little little annoying, and maybe they did this a lot in in Voyager, the episodes on TV, but maybe not. But they were acronym crazy on this uh, on this series. ODN, Optical Data Network. SIF, Structural Integrity Field. Um, and they had some more. I mean, EMH, Emergency Medical Hologram, I'm fine with that. I remember that. No problem, I got used to that. But they were just throwing all these acronyms out in the middle of the action. They have little um, little little notes at the bottom of the panels saying, right. oh, that's what SIF means. It's like, oh, okay. Did, did they right. do that a lot in the show? Well, they use the acronyms, but but just like in... I mean, just like in all the Star Trek, they don't ever actually explain what an ODM is. I mean, but they do use the term a lot. Oh. Uh, I don't remember that as much. I remember a little bit of it, but they were going gaga about it in this. Well, it's the translations that was the annoying part for me. I mean, we know what an EMH is. Everybody who's ever seen Voyager knows what it is. Yeah. But ODN? I don't remember ODN before. Did they used to do that in the show? Okay. Well, they wouldn't tell you what it is, but they would have it. Oh. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. They went over like RCS, reaction control system. Oh, there you go. There's another one. Yeah, it was. It's it's all over. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it was, was just a, it was just a little annoying and distracting, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, I mean, you, you think about today, um, especially in the computer business, we are acronym crazy people in the technology business. So, and we use them every day. Um, so it's it's very it's a very human thing to do, to come up with you know, shorter versions of very long uh, labels that we have on things that people in an industry would all know what they mean. Right. It's just that when they're using it <laughs> in uh, in stories like this where it's inconvenient to explain, uh, it's a little awkward. Anyway. Agreed. Yeah. So they even mentioned Titanic. Yes. That was funny. And they pointed out that it's just happens to be a Paramount picture, just like who owns Star Trek at this point. Uh, oh, did oh did they say Paramount picture? Yeah, they oh, actually said right. uh, this is not a shameless plug for the Paramount's twenty. Or, oh, right. This is not a shameless plug for Paramount's two hundred million dollar epic. Uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so that was a good note. Sure, it's not. Sure, yeah. It's not a plug. Yeah, and then it was Tom that actually said it in the story or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're going down like the Titanic. Exactly. Yes, I thought that was actually pretty funny. That they actually drew attention to to the fact that that everybody reading the book is thinking. Titanic. But then they pointed out that it's actually Paramount Pictures. That was, to me, the the really funny part. Yeah. I didn't remember that. It was a Paramount picture. I didn't either until they told me. Right, right. Thank you, comic book. And in the same vein, out of left field, Harry asks Tom when he wants him to download Chapter 2 of Grey's Anatomy. And the first thing when I read that was, is Grey's Anatomy a Paramount property too? Are they just (laughs) going to plug everything? And then I realized, oh, that's probably a medical book. Right. Uh, right. And sure enough, I just confirmed it. Yeah, so that's... Oh, yeah. Apparently, it was written by Henry Gray, but 
Yes, or at least the first edition was. Right. Yeah, since then, I guess a lot of people have uh, done yeah, versions. Yeah, that's like a uh, a very common textbook or book. Right. Back in my schooling days, I had to get it, too. And I wasn't oh, even going to be a doctor. Right. There you go. And your first chosen line of uh, endeavor. Yes, it wasn't Star Trek comic book podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh, if you could have just started it so much early, you could have retired early. I know, right? I should have got started You're early. You're making so much money. <laughs> okay, anyway. so this whole this whole wing. I, I hate to... I'll, I'll shut up after the Arrowwing shuttle. Uh, that was my, the wing is my last comment, too, so... Oh, okay, cool. So, just from my standpoint, I never even knew it was there. Now, as soon as it came out of the bottom, I said... That the shape of that thing is awful familiar, and I grabbed uh, one of my Voyager uh, model things, and I'm looking on the bottom and say, "There, it, sure enough, there it is. There's the wing structure and everything. Very cool." Um, and it's like, but I don't remember ever hearing about that thing. And sure enough, when I went on to Alpha uh, Memory Alpha, um, I read about it, and yeah, it was never in an episode or anything, but I guess it was acknowledged other places, and and there was all kinds of. Uh, computer-generated diagrams and things on the, uh, on the web talking right. about it. So that was cool. It's just like, wow, that was there the whole time, and I didn't even know it. Right. I think – and what's funny is that you know, it is on the original uh, Voyager design, so that means that yeah. even before we saw the captain's yacht on the Enterprise-E, this thing already technically was designed you know, as a concept. Right. Um, so I thought that was cool, and, and I wonder why they never used it. I mean, yeah. it could have been like the big, you know, saucer section separation type scenes that we had in Next Generation. Right, right. They have this little ship uh, popping out. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is they, they refer to it as a runabout class or style vessel that can right. carry more people. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah, you'd need that. I think that would be a damn handy thing to be using in multiple episodes. But was that going to water down the need then for the Delta Flyer? Right. Um, well, it could have just been a, an, an extra ship along with Oh, them. I completely agree. It's this just ship that looks really cool. It does look cool, and it looks like you can carry a fair number of people and equipment if you needed to, which was more than you could say for the Delta Flyer. I mean, it was it was a biggish shuttle, but not doesn't look like it. It's not it's certainly, I don't think it was runabout class. Right. As far as space, the size of it. Yep. No, I, I, I like the ship, and I, and I do not know why they never used it. Right. And the other thing is, I remember there was one point where the ship was taken over by uh, baddies, mm-hmm. and, and then the crew was... Well, anyway, I remember Tom being, like, you know, on his own in the Delta Flyer, uh, having to, you know blow up Kazon pursuers or whatever. And it was pretty capable. But it's like, well, you took the Delta Flyer, but you had this thing too. It's like, that would have been cool. I mean, you could even use that in combat if you needed to. Right. Oh, that, like that was... Surprise ship kind of thing. That was, pro- that was your point about the saucer separation, probably. Right. right. Anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. Just sorry they, they never used it. Yeah. And I do kind of like, uh, I mean... No, now that I went and, and did the same kind of research you did to try to find out why they never used it, uh, Tuvox and uh, Kim's conversation when they first take it out is actually kind of funny because uh, doesn't Kim say something like, I've always wanted to fly this, but I've just never had a chance, you know, yes. kind of like. <laughs> right, exactly. 
they just won't ever let us do this in the show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought that was funny. That was. And then the last thing I have to say about the Arrowwing shuttle is, okay, they make it very plain that the normal propulsive systems of Voyager won't work underwater. They said that at one point. And then later on, actually it was in the first issue that they, they said that. I think Janeway said that. But then in this issue, they're using uh, thrusters or something, and they at least be able, it looks like it can push the, push, push the ship up. So it's like, well, that's kind of against what you said in the early first issue, but okay. And then you got this thing, the air wing, which is tooling around just fine. I mean, it looks like it's almost made for being underwater. I mean, right. the shape is pretty cool. But, okay, so obviously its propulsive systems work okay. So I'm just saying, a little inconsistency there. A little annoying. Agreed. Yeah. Right. My last comment, which is pretty quick, is um, at the end of the issue, they're back to the normal Voyager phaser rifles. When they're so, uh, running through the... Yeah, right. okay. So in the last two issues of the monthly run, they were using... Um, First contact phaser rifles, which was like, that's wrong. Eh, how'd they get those? But now, at least in this, this run, they're back to the normal Voyager, uniquely Voyager, mind you, phaser rifle design. Okay. Which I was glad. That's more consistent. Although not as cool. I don't know. They're pretty cool. They're cool. I just, I just like the first contact phaser rifles best. Right. Okay, that's all I have to say about that one. All right, let's see what happens next. Okay, so this is uh, Splashdown number three, Fire and Water. Published date is June 1998. Uh, I think everybody's pretty much the same. Matter of fact, they are the same. I'm moving on. Synopsis. Uh, The cover shows Captain Janeway and Balana's heads in the upper portion of the cover. Tuvok and a short-haired blonde lady have their phasers drawn pointing at something. In lower right corner is part of a sphere that is rippling with light and probably other radiation. To the right of Janeway's head is the text, Fire and Water. Tuvok, Harry, and other members of the away team are stopped in their exploration of the underwater pyramids by a glowing device that almost looked like an irregularly shaped mirror. A hairy humanoid comes horizontally out of the mirror-like device at high speed, knocking over a female member of the away team. This alien has paramilitary clothing on and multiple devices in his hands and attached to his vest. He comes to a halt on the floor across from the device. The away team walks up to him with phasers drawn. He sees uniforms and assumes the away team are policemen of some kind. He says he hates police, which gives the impression he may be a thief of some kind. As the alien gets up, Tuvok says they are not police, but if they were, they would get the distinct impression that the alien was using the transportation device to steal all the booty laying about the room. The alien senses an opening and says Tuvok and the others are trespassing on his claim. He says he is a prospector and has the legal right to dispatch them all. The security man with the phaser rifle puts it up against the prospector's chin and gets his face into the aliens, saying, If you own this place, then you must be responsible for attacking Voyager and putting them all 2,000 fathoms deep. 
Phaser rifle guy is very displeased. The scene shifts to Voyager's bridge. Janeway, Paris, and Chakotay are discussing the ship's ascent. The negative gravity field is making the ship's ascent less dependent on the thrusters, which is a good thing, but power reserves are still low. They speak to Balana, who is in engineering, trying to get more systems up and functional. The water damage and zero-g are unexpected impediments to her team's progress. Janeway tells Bolana she needs to find a way to get planetary propulsion systems online since they will need them when they reach the surface in 20 minutes. As Bolana, Seven, and a Vulcan engineer continue their work, a fire breaks out and forms a ball of flame suspended in the air uncomfortably close to the containment chamber. The fire gets larger as it consumes the engineering section's oxygen. They attempt to use hand fire extinguishers to no avail. Seven and Balana work together begrudgingly to flood engineering with CO2 to starve the fire. The fire is out. Meanwhile, Tuvok reports that they have found a prospector using alien technology that acts like a threshold between worlds, almost like a Stargate. No, they said Stargate. Well, no, they didn't say Stargate. I'm saying Stargate. Tuvok figures the prospector might have activated the planet's drone attack force by mistake as he figured out how to operate the threshold. Janeway's interest is piqued by the threshold device, but orders Tuvok to focus on finding a way to deactivate the drones. They will reach the surface in 12 minutes and do not want a reception committee waiting for them. Harry thinks he found the drone controls, but can't be sure. The prospector warns him not to touch that and distracts everyone long enough to jump through the threshold. Harry does touch it anyway, and the entire away team is shocked into unconsciousness by cool green beams of energy that zap them all. The prospector pokes his head back in through the threshold and says he tried to warn them. Last time he did that to himself, he was out for an hour. Captain Janeway is concerned over the abrupt termination of their transmission. She wants to beam them back, but transporters are still offline. They will be hitting the surface in ten minutes, with no idea whether Tuvok's team will be successful or not. Tom says with their power reserves at an all-time low, they will be a sitting duck. Back in the underwater alien pyramid, the prospector disarms the unconscious away team, takes their comm badges, and locks them up in catacombs. The prospector says the drones he sent up after his cheating partner must have got his visitor's ship too. Well, too bad. He has a claim to protect, and that means their ship will never reach the surface. Voyager finally reaches the surface and begins to rise above the water. Unfortunately, there are hundreds of green drones waiting to blast them. Shields up! To be continued. Ba-ba-bum! Exactly. How will, how will they get out of this? I ask you. I don't think they will. Power reserves low. Hundreds of devices fully charged and ready to zap them above. They can't go back under the water again. I guess they could, but power reserves are low. The away team is unconscious, disarmed, and locked away uh, with no apparent way to get out. How will they get out of this? You want me to tell you? No. Oh, thought you were asking. No, not because really. I know. We know. We read. We'll we'll tell the huge audience in a few minutes. Uh, right. So anyway, so this issue, uh, you keep mentioning Stargate. Mm-hmm. 
which which I uh, I definitely see the parallels there. But there's also a more more maybe logical explanation is another guardian of forever. It does look a little bit like a guardian, yeah. And it kind of acts like a guardian. Yeah. Well, y- you really don't know, do you? It could be. Um, yes, but we don't know enough about it. It has, it has so far, it's not talked to anyone. True. So. So guardians have to talk? Well, they don't have to, but the one, uh, the one that Kirk dealt with seemed to be rather chatty. <laughs> Maybe no one's asked it a question. So that that got me to thinking. You know how they make a big deal that Talos Four is death penalty if you go to it. Blah blah blah. Right? Didn't they do the same thing to the Guardians planet? Isn't it also forbidden for anybody to go to that planet? Well, and wouldn't death- that actually be worse than the the Talosians because they could actually alter time? Uh, I would tend to agree with you, but I just don't. I don't remember it being a death penalty, though. Yeah, I, I can't I mean, remember. I, I, mean, I, 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 I agree that I think it's uh, a planet that people are forbidden to go to, but I don't remember it being death penalty. But I think that it should. I mean, if, if going to visit the Telosians is a death penalty, then this should be a death penalty because it's a million times worse. Yeah. You just go, you save one woman from getting hit by a car, boom. <laughs> All of reality has changed. Exactly. Now, in the Expanded Universe, I remember reading a novel that involved the Guardian, and uh, there were actually research teams on uh, researching the Guardian. Right. So I think that was uh, Imzadi by Peter David. Ah, hmm, could be, could be. So, uh, at least in the Expanded Universe, you know, there, there is examples where people do uh, go back there, but... Right, and, and Pocketbooks did do a uh, mini series which which tied into every Star Trek franchise from the time. So original series, movie era, um, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, and they all had one novel, and it was called Gateways. And and ah. each franchise, you know, either goes to the original Guardian or finds that there is more than one Guardian device throughout the universe. Which which I thought was a pretty cool concept. Oh, actually, there's also a uh, New Frontier version, too, right. with uh, Captain Calhoun. Yes. Um, so, I mean, so when I, when I was seeing this, I was thinking of that, that you know, the, that, that miniseries and the possibility that this could be another gateway or another Gar- Guardian. Uh, guardian of forever. Yeah. Right. That is possible. Um. But I was also My first thought star, was definitely... I was, I was getting the same vibe, the, yeah. the Stargate. Sorry. Yeah, and definitely, there's no two ways about it. The concept of some kind of a technological gateway that'll take you from place to place is not unique to, uh, to Stargate, not by a long shot. Sure. It's something that's been floating around for quite a long time uh, in science fiction. Right. It's just that Stargate's a little bit more, at least in my face. And it, it was all the Egyptian, you know, pyramids, hieroglyphics, things like right. that, which really drove home Stargate to me. Then, right, more so than the Guardian, but but I could go either way. Right. 
So yeah. So what what purpose does the pyramids have to do with anything except for making it look a little bit like Stargate? <laughs> Well, that or the designers just said, okay, we've got to have some kind of an ancient ruins or something uh, that we have this, uh, you know, this this threshold thing. And interesting, they use the word threshold, um, which is a, a good word to describe it. Um, it just did kind of dance around other labels that might have been used, such as Guardians or Stargates. But um, I, I just thought... They just picked pyramids. I don't know that it necessarily had more meaning to it. Um, unless possible, they are trying to say that maybe this kind of technology might have allowed people to get to Earth in the far distant past. And maybe they're the pyramid builders. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they just picked pyramids. Why not? Pyramids. As opposed to Aztec pyramids, which tends to be used a lot for uh, what Romulan uh, installations in the comics, some of the comics. Really, I thought that was usually just Rom- Roman design and things like that. Well, okay. Um, I don't remember the, seeing it, a pyramid. The more... Klingons have pyramid kind of things, right? Or am I getting them mixed up? I think pyramids are used a lot. Right. But I do know that there was uh, an, uh, an issue not that long ago. Um, was it Deep Space Nine? I think it was something like that. Where there were Romulans involved, and yet again... Their installation on a remote, their secret installation on a remote planet, remote planet looked like a Mayan, Aztec, whatever, uh, you know, a, a Central American uh, pyramid. That was the uh, that was the the prison break story, right? Where the the Cardassian broke out, and that was his base, right? Jane could and uh, Kira went and confronted him because he hated Kira for no apparent reason. Oh right, the Car- yeah, the Cardassian guy. Yeah, that yeah. could have been it. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Anyway, I, I think sometimes the designers, uh, the the artists, they just pick something that looks good, and, and the pyramids look pretty good. I don't right. know if, if there's any more than that, but maybe there is. They didn't they didn't make it obvious to us. No, in the story. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, the only thing I can think of is that you know this was what 2000 and when did this come out? The story it's, 1998. It's 1998, right? So when did when did Stargate come out? It might not have even come out yet. No, it was out. It was like 1995, 1994, something like that. Oh, Stargate's that old? Yep, the movie. Right. Then then it resurrected in the TV series, I think, later. Okay. Yeah, because I did look it up, because I kind of wondered, hey, this kind of seems an awful lot like, uh, like Stargate. And so I did look up the movie. Okay. But. Interesting. All right. So I think we beat that one uh, to death. The uh, the little alien creature guy. Yes, he looked a little bit like a hairy Ferengi because his his arm and legs are hairy, but his face is a little Ferengi like. I thought. Uh huh. You agree or not agree? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, those ears. Uh, he looked a little bit more like a like a like a gremlin. I could see that. Yep. And then he was all hairy. I mean, really hairy. So he almost looked like a. An ape kind of guy. A, l- a little bit like Beast. Right. X-Men Beast, that is. Yeah, he reminded me of a character in Green Lantern. Uh-huh. Uh, he, and, and maybe it was more of his personality, but he's he's kind of a like almost a Gollum-type character. He's like a little 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 guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he's, he's an orange lantern, which orange is the... 
is the color spectrum for greed. So he's okay. like, oh, collecting ah. his his hoard and right. you know, and, and this guy kind of does the same thing with his little right. treasures. And right. I was like, you know, this came out way before uh, the Orange Lantern came out, so right. uh, it, it's not you know, it's not that they were borrowing it from them. But I thought it was just it was just odd that they've had the same mannerisms, maybe not quite looked the same, but right. they, they reminded me of each other. Right. I thought it was funny. Cool. Have you seen the Orange Lantern? I was no, and I wasn't even aware of the Orange Lantern's existence until I had seen uh, a little fifteen-minute summary on all the Green Lantern cores. So uh, I did not even heard of Orange Lanterns until that podcast, that video podcast. Uh, okay, yeah, he's been in a couple. He's been in a couple of the animated stuff, so I thought maybe you'd seen him there at least. No, I have not. But he, he's kind of a Ferengi-type character, all about acquisitions and his, you know, hoarding his little gold. Well, we don't need to turn this into a, uh, a Green Lantern <laughs> uh, podcast, but I do find it very interesting that they went down all those different, um, the, the Green Lantern core spectrum of colors and what they all meant. Uh, it's really interesting, because there's like, there's like nine of them or something, or seven, I don't know what the number is exactly, but a high number. And they all have different characters, and they all have different mm, things that drive them. Like Will is the green one, right? And then right. Orange, which I did not remember, is Greed. greed. Uh, and then Yellow is Fear. Anyway, so it's really interesting they went down all those different paths. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And here I thought it was just Hal Jordan and then the other guys that came after him, just with the normal Green Lantern stuff. But oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. Anyway, back to this comic. Mm -hmm. I thought the effect of the green light when it shocked the away team into unconsciousness in the pyramid, I thought that looked pretty cool. With their hair standing straight up? Yep. And it's like like a column of energy that's like between the floor and the ceiling that they're trapped in. So it looks like whatever it is, it's really messing them up. Right. Yeah, it looked like it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, and, and let's just talk about the artwork in general. Yeah. I think it was great. I, I thought this artwork was really good. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of a few shots of some of the crew members with wet hair, it that kind of looked a little odd. Right. But aside from that, the ships look fantastic. The yeah. technology I thought looked good. The right. The characters look good. I, I think even the supporting characters look pretty good. So I'm looking right now at that page where that uh, security guy or whatever he was had the phaser rifle in the face of uh, of the prospector. And right. he looks good. He looks pissed. He, so he looks good. And then right above that there is the short-haired blonde away team member. And she looks good too. I mean you don't have to make people look good that are like only going to be around one issue. Right. But they look fine. They look nice and detailed, look realistic. Um, yeah. And, and I think, as we mentioned before, the Prospector himself is a pretty cool design. It looks good. Anyway. Yeah. No, I thought it was great. And I thought that the um, the ship rising out of the water looked really good. Yeah. It did remind me a little bit of Into Darkness, but this obviously came out well before that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is another thing. Into Darkness had an opportunity to bring in anti-gravity engines or something. 
uh, which make more sense. I mean, obviously, you have control of gravity, right? You, you've got artificial gravity on the ships. So if you've got the technology for that, how much further does it, does it really have to go to be able to create some kind of anti-gravity fields that could levitate things? Well, actually, hold on. You can levitate things. I mean, there's, there's gurneys, that, gurneys that float, right? And, and things where they move big, heavy things around. You know, why, why couldn't that be adapted to ships? Right. Anyway, oh, right, that. right, yeah. So, you know, in Into Darkness, they had the chance to do something a little bit more logical. But no, they went with good old-fashioned thrusters. Which is easier to understand. I'll agree with that. I mean, if the ship just started ascending with nothing underneath it, you'd be going, and it was, oh, it's anti-gravity engines. It's like, you know, the average person would be looking at going, well, how's it floating? You know, I guess thrust under the bottom is easier, more universal to understand, but kind of passe. Well, we haven't invented any of this, so. Right. But like I say, there's precedent for them having the technology. Yeah, true. But um, interesting that they, where the thrust is coming from as the ship is coming out, though. It's coming out of four points on the, um, on the saucer section, and that's it. Right. You think it's, it would be a little wobbly? Well, yeah. And quite frankly, that's where I thought the um, – and I could be totally wrong. But those four points on the saucer section are very easy to see. They're, they're, and I thought they were where the shields were generated from, but maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about what they were. Yeah. But they're very different from the rest of the outside edge of the uh, saucer section. So apparently, at least according to this comic, it's where thrusters come out. Only planetary thrusters or whatever. Well. Whatever I mean, they're if, using. If they're they thrusters, it. wouldn't you – all? Yeah. You can call it planetary thrusters, but I would think if it's truly thrust being generated, that works just as well in space. But and we know it works in water. Well, it, that is if it's the same. So is that what they're using as they're coming out of water? And by the way, that's a great two-page spread. I, I agree with that. It looks really cool. Is that the same propulsive method as they were using when they were underwater? Um, I know that they had to switch it over, but I I thought they don't switch it over until the next issue. So yeah, I think it's supposed to be the same one that got them through the water. Oh, yeah. So I'll look at the previous page, and it's showing Voyager still ascending underwater, and there's, there's red, th- orange, thrusty stuff coming out of the same points in the saucer section. Right. Okay. Okay. So um, definitely this prospector guy, the last thing to say about him, and then I'm done with comments for this one, is he's, he's a bad dude. He's a greedy bad dude. He's, he's cold. He's going to let hundreds of people die in the ship just to protect his, uh, his, his claim. Right. I did like his little dance and then jump into the portal. I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got some humor to him. Right. I, 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 like, I like his little repartee when he's first dealing with Tuvok and company. Oh, you guys look like cops. He doesn't say cops, but you guys look like policemen. Yeah. Right. No, I thought he was funny, and then, then you know, then he comes to find out he, he did it all because he knew they were about to get zapped. I thought, yes, he's a bad guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. Absolutely no uh, problem with him getting his just desserts, if he actually gets them. We don't yeah. know, but I guess we'll find out. So uh, my last comment is, uh, what did you think of all the uh, 
you know, all the scenes that Gravity borrowed from this this comic book with uh, the fire and all that stuff. Oh, the movie Gravity. The movie Gravity. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they read this comic, and you're like, oh. you know what? We could do that. Yeah, and I'm sure. I'm sure there's they got it from this comic book as opposed to like <laughs> science. Nope, they got it from this one. They they know some of the cool things that happen in zero gravity. Yeah, I thought that was I thought this was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, especially the fireball at the beginning. So that was cool. I mean, when Bolana was losing her um her footing and and being thrown backwards and then all of a sudden there's a big wall of fire behind her. I thought that was pretty cool. But then it went back to being a ball. And then it went back to being something that was like encompassing the entire engineering area. So um, it was a shock at first, but then it was like, you know, the fire's like doing all these different things. But, so I know that okay. fire would act as act different, like this ball type type thing. But would it spread faster just because there was no gravity? No, I don't think that's any. I, I don't think that makes any difference. It's the presence the presence of oxygen, right? Which wouldn't matter whether it was. Oxygen and, and gravity or oxygen just floating around. Right. I, so I, don't I think didn't buy that the, the ball just bloomed up like that real fast unless there was something else to combust it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you would think it would be more oxygen-rich atmosphere that would account for that more easily than normal atmosphere, but I don't know. Uh, definitely the way they did it is more exciting. Sure. Looks cooler. It did look cool. Yeah. And I liked how it was just... You know, steaming up the uh, the little water droplets that were floating around too. Right, right. No, it looked cool. And then they did little Wally impression with the fire extinguishers. Uh oh, Wall E, Wall Dash E, Wall Dash E. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and their attempts to uh, put it out. Yeah. Anyways, is that it? That's it for me. Let's find out what happens. Let's see how they get out of this. Yeah, the the latest cliffhanger. Issue the latest a- issue ending cliffhanger. Yes, and unfortunately it's truly the end because this will be the last Voyager comic book Marvel will put out. Dang it. Sniff sniff. Exactly. Again, wish it was going out on a a bigger bolder story, but eh. hello, they got sunk and they're being risen from the ocean. That's pretty big. Okay. At the end, why don't you give us your real opinion of this series? <laughs> All right. So the cover shows the crew of the Voyager standing on a rocky planet, and above them in the sky looms Voyager itself. And then the caption reads, Into the final frontier, with a lot of emphasis on final. The story starts off with Voyager hovering slightly above the water as the drones are closing in to attack the defenseless ship. Just as the drones are about to converge on them, Paris is able to use their limited power to speed away and try to outrun the tiny craft, knowing that they cannot keep this up for too long. Chakotay cannot use Voyager's transporters to beam anybody down to the planet to check on Tuvok and the rest of the away team. So he patches into the Arrow Wings transporter itself and he beams himself over to the tiny craft. Once there, he grabs a phaser, and beams himself into the pyramid in search for the crew. When he arrives, he finds the tiny prospector rummaging through his loot. Chakotay demands that he turns off the drones. The greedy alien acts like he does not know what he's talking about. 
in regards to the drones or to missing crew members. Chakotay uses his phaser to blast a nearby wall, which coincidentally happens to stop the drone's attack on Voyager. The drones turn around and head back towards the watery surface. In the cell, Tuvok and the others wake up from their shocks from last issue. Suddenly, the whole room starts to shake. They speculate that this is not the volcano erupting, but it's actually an attack on the pyramid structure itself. The pyramid starts to take on water as holes are punched in by the returning drones. The away team is able to get out of their cell in time before they were drowned with the incoming water. In the control room, Chakotay and the aliens seem to have come to the conclusion that his phaser blast did not turn the drones off, but instead rerouted them to attack and destroy the base. Chakotay also notices that the threshold that the alien was using to jump from planet to planet seems to be cycling through many different planets. Much like the Guardian of Forever, it shows places and times throughout the galaxy. This includes images of Egypt on Earth. The away team arrives into the chamber, and they all speculate what this gateway could actually mean. It could be a way home. Chakotay states that they have no way of knowing what time in Earth's history it would put them, and they cannot really do anything about it since the base is about to be destroyed by the uncontrollable drones. With sad faces, they request a beam-up back to the arrow wing. Just as they are dematerializing, Chakotay rips off his pips and throws it into the portal. He hopes that if it does arrive to Earth, then someone will be able to read Voyager's registry from the fabric itself and know that they are still out there somewhere. The Arrow Wing is able to escape the pyramid just as the volcano erupts and destroys everything. Later, Janeway, Chakotay, and Taurus are standing on a small island with Voyager parked behind them. They talk about the extensive repairs Voyager needs and how beautiful the sunset is. Elsewhere, or more like elsewhen, in the 29th century on Earth in front of the Egyptian pyramids, a tourist is hit in the back with a command pip from the 24th century. Not knowing what it is or who threw it, he ignores it and continues on with his tour with his companions. The End You know, those uh, tourists look kind of familiar. And kind of don't. They kind of look kind of familiar and kind of not. You don't uh, recognize they, them? They kind of look like uh, Omega Squad? They kind of look like Omega Squad. But if yeah. it is truly Omega Squad, then they did a terrible job on on Pava. It, it can't be Omega Squad, because it's the 29th century. Oh, the 29th century. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, it's, okay. It's year 2863. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yep. But yeah, you're right. There's there's the guy that looks like a Bajoran, like the like a black Bajoran, but he has ridges on his head. And then right. A Val <clears throat> Kilmery looking blonde dude. Who's uh, uh, Decker. Right. And then Pava without ears. And or hair. antennae. Right. Yeah, no antennae. But she yeah. does look like she's uh, Andorian. Hmm. But the orange hair. Well, it's kind of purple. Right. Okay. Pink purple. Purple. Purplish orange. Yeah. And then the other woman could be. Could Vulcan. be anything. Could be right. Vulcan. But. Interesting. I did not uh, did not put that together. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. I I think it's interesting the choices they made. 
Now, were they trying to put a plug in without really putting a plug in for um, uh, Starfleet Academy? I don't know. Maybe. It's interesting. Maybe. Or maybe they're trying to uh, – it's a subliminal thing to remind you of Starfleet Academy. Remember. Remember. But not too much because this is supposed to be in the future. Right. That's good. Good point. Maybe it was just the artist and just trying to get a little little Easter egg in there. Yeah. And maybe it is. Anyway, good that you noticed it was in the 29th century. Uh, yeah, 2863. I didn't get that. Yeah, I like that the uh, the guy just looks at this. What is this? I don't know. Throw it away. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Huh. <laughs> hey, you want it? I don't want it. It's like <laughs> Jacote thought they... So... So how are they going to figure out it was from Voyager? From the fibers? From the fibers, which was so stupid. Well, it kind of makes sense that they didn't think it was from from the pips themselves. Why not? The pips make sense. Well, Well, they could have something stamped on the back of it that says, you know, property of USS Voyager, blah, blah, blah. People People will be reassigned all the time, and they could still have their uniform, their duty uniform. That's right, I think, their uniform, the fabric, not necessarily the pips. I, oh, I mean, oh, oh, get, oh, going to a new ship, better get new pips. Oh, why would they do that? That it's makes just, more sense. It's just than ornamentation. The, it makes more sense than the I, fibers of the fabric. Well, I don't know. Registry. I don't know if it makes more sense, but I will say it doesn't make. Neither one makes any sense. Now, maybe you should have taken his com badge and thrown it in. When you think a com badge, that would make more sense. Yeah, wouldn't you think a com badge would have some kind of an ID thing for the wearer? Anyway. I, I thought it was pretty good of, of Chakotay to have the sense to throw anything in. So that was kind of good. No, I would have liked it more, especially if it was the 28th century, to have like maybe it be Chakotay or, or you know a, a descendant of, of him, find him or something like that. Oh, look, this is what granddaddy... Chicote used to always talk about, you know, something like that. <laughs> okay. Cool. But yeah. pretty, just, <clears throat> it's just space garbage. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, it doesn't look like they're doing much with it. But at least they went ahead and, um, and established that, yes, it was Earth, uh, but, oh, it's a time thing. So, so definitely with the time, uh, the time dimension to this, obviously it is more and more like a, a Guardian. Right. Except it doesn't talk, which was a good point. Well, it doesn't talk, and they don't... Did they actually say it was like a Guardian? Nope. They just said it was like some portal that seems to travel in space and time. Yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. No. Why would we actually use a label of something we might be familiar with? Right, which then got, me, to wonder, which then got me to thinking, well, maybe they don't know about the Guardian because it was forbidden, and maybe only captains and above know it or something. I don't know. Well, Janeway should know then. Oh, but Janeway's not there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but she, it was described to her before. But maybe not the whole temporal end of it. Right. Anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, The cover. What do you think about the cover? Um, I didn't really care for it. I didn't care for it at all. I know know this is like a send-off thing. It's like, bye, everybody. And uh, great voyages in the future, because we're not going to be around to see it. So, okay, <laughs> it's an ending of everything issue, so that's fine. But they just show everybody's like, 
Hi, we're all your friends on uh, Star Trek Voyager. Vio con Dios. Everybody's like smiling and everybody's like, hi. It's like, like us. And it's like, <laughs> I thought there was like, meh. I hate stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it, I, I did not care for it. And plus, I mean, the, like Janeway's little smirk looks a little odd. Yeah, Janeway looks terrible in that. And the doctor looks like he just got caught pinching seven or nine's butt or something. Yes. With his little smirk. Which is completely understandable if he wasn't a hologram, but he's very well positioned for it. Right. That's funny. And Ensign Kim has the Riker. Oh, one the le- stance. One leg up stance. <laughs> That's funny. The famous Riker stance. Anyway. Uh... I thought it was pretty gutsy how Chakotay transported over alone. And without I mean, permission. I, I didn't mention it in the synopsis, but he was already going before she said, go ahead and go. Yeah. Well, he had to move quick, didn't he? And maybe that's more of a reason why he went over alone, but it's like, I would have taken somebody with me. Right. I mean, you don't know. As far as you know, you know, dastardly deeds could have been done. But Chicote turned out to be up to the task. Yeah, phaser he, drawn. He just uh, just shooting the wall, and then that just happens to work. Really, kind of <laughs> annoyed me. Well, I thought it made, I thought it made more sense than him having a prolonged conversation with uh, the prospector, trying to co- coerce him into turning off the uh, the drones. But yeah, you know, he tried once. I'm going to shoot you if you don't do it. Oh, you're not going to do it? Okay, I'll shoot the wall. So, you know, I like that better because he wasn't trying to, but I agree with you. Shooting the wall I like, just to show that he means business and what these things actually do. Right. But for it to be that just happens to be the console that converts it. Yeah, and what was the justification for the attack on the uh, pyramids? Um, Was there one? Yeah, I mean, okay, so there was, because, okay, so they had to blow up the pyramid, so they didn't have the option of coming back and trying to use the uh, threshold to get back home. Right, Because, of right. course, we know they got to go longer. And the, and the excuse for it to happen was not Chakotay's blast against the wall, it was that somehow what they did convinced the drones to stop attacking Voyager and attack the uh, pyramid, Right. I thought that it just scrambled their programming to well, make okay, them attack where their source instead of attack Voyager. Okay, well, either words you want to use, somehow they were convinced to attack the pyramid. Right. Which was convenient. They had to have that happen. But the justification for it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And also, I want to say, is if... They have the ability to operate underwater, which they're clearly shown they do. Then why didn't they go after Voyager? Right. I mean, angry bees would go after people in the water if they had the ability to, but they don't. But now we find out at the end they do have the ability to, so why didn't they? To make sure that Voyager was finished off. Evil evil genius James Bond style. They just assumed that they were dead. Ah, there you go. There you go. Go about their business. That's right. Unlike 
Dr. Evil me, Dr. Evil son me that says, pop a cap in his head, get it over with. <laughs> exactly. From that classic movie. Yeah, I, I didn't think the justification for why it was attacking its home base made any sense, but whatever. I agree. I didn't think there even was a justification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just doing it. It had to happen. You know, we couldn't justify it blowing up with just Chakotay's phaser blast, so there you go. Anyway, so that's anyway. really all I have to say about this one. Um, I did, well, the, let's just talk about the... I mean, they end, they literally end the story with her talking about the sunrise on a volcanic planet, and it, it ended on a whimper. And just talking about how badly the, the ship's damaged and Maybe you can get some power out of the, you know, thermodynamic planet itself. But well, yeah. it was just like a yeah, heat, heat generation from the volcanic the, planet in the series. Well, which may not have been their choice, but well, I'm glad they weren't just flying off into the sunset. Yeah, we're flying. You know, we got all kinds of damage. Uh, will we find another power source? So, I mean. The ship had to be horribly damaged, so at least they weren't—they were on a planet, you know, making repairs, which made more sense. But it could uh, be worse. I would have rather it just jumped, you know, so far in the future and then had them. Oh, okay, we're all so, fixed. Let's go. Two months in the future. Yeah. Well, yeah, as opposed to me never knowing. Never knowing what? <laughs> Did they get off? I don't I, know. I, I think I, they set it up sufficiently. They. Got how does off. this fit in with the rest of the series? Well, quite frankly, except for the fact that they're continuing on, it doesn't. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, I need closure. You know, I, I, obviously all of these these comic book episodes, especially the ones that were coming out while the show was still on, had to work themselves in in between the episodes, basically. So, all you can really say, Donovan, is they continued their journey. Mm, okay. Eventually. All right. Um, and they set it up for how they were going to do it. Yeah. Yep, by sitting around watching the sunset. Exactly. And uh, tapping geothermal energy. Exactly. Right. Okay. So All there right, you that's go. It. Okay. So I'm going to miss Voyager, uh, but it was good to uh, have it around in as few an issues as we had, which was only like, what, was it 19? How, how far did we go in, the, uh, 15. in 80? 15. 15. 15, so 15, and then so 19. This, so 19 total, right. That's it. Not even 20. Well, unfortunate. But yeah. at least we had what we had. Well, had more than Deep Space Nine. They, they ended at 15 and never got their miniseries. Oh. Starfleet Academy will make it up to 18, and then they get canceled as well. So. Ah. But the good news is, when we get to Wildstorm, uh, we'll get Voyager and Deep Space Nine back. There you go. Cool. Okay. Um, so should we talk about, uh, episode 80, 180? Yeah. So next week we're going to be back in the ongoing era. Cool. So the, uh, ongoing being the, the Christopher Pine era Kirk. Exactly. So, uh, and oddly enough, we'll have be, by the time we get to the, our third issue, we will be seeing some old friends, won't we? Right. So 33, 34, uh, finish off the st- the story that we 
cliffhangered on, I think. And then 35 starts a new one, which is uh, has Q as a guest star. Oh? Q? That wacky Q. Always popping up, causing mischief. Exactly. So, But this will be the first time we knowingly see him pop up into another dimension? Another... What's what's the terminology? Um, uh, alternate reality, universe. yeah. Alternate universe. So, kind of interesting, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading these. Actually, yeah. I mean, the whole concept that uh, the original universe still happened. It's out there. Uh, Kirk and the rest of his movie voyages, or whatever, as well as the new the new J.J. Abrams reboot is. Uh, it's all very interesting. And you could jump between them, I suppose, if you were an omnipotent creature like Q. So why not go down that path? Right, why not? Exactly. And we even see at least a little bit of some uh, next-gen friends. And perhaps other series. And other series, indeed. Which is... Um, I just hope they handle it well. I'm sure they will, but still. It could go so bad. <laughs> <laughs> But, if uh, not handled well. But the possibilities are nice because right. I think we'd all like to see more stuff with next-gen folks and, oop, dare I say it, Deep Space Nine folks. Exactly. No, so. I, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, right. So I guess we'll have to wait a week to find out. Well, actually, we'll only get a little tease next time. Then we'll have to wait until we do uh, the rest of that miniseries, which is like a six-part miniseries. So it's basically going to take up oh my know, God. half a year. Six parts? Wow. Six that is something. Well, the cool thing is, at least as of the recording of this podcast, we have the first two at least. Yeah, I right. think I have the first two. I think of I got the. the fir- uh, I think the first three are out. Oh, there, there's we're, three out. We're really behind on getting to the ongoing stuff. Well, the good thing is, well, if we if, if there are three out now, I have one more book to get, but um, we could do an ongoing pretty quickly. Hmm. We'll have to see how that shakes out if, in the if schedule. It, if, uh, yeah, if we can. Yeah. Well, we don't. The main thing is we don't have to wait as long between the next time we do the next uh, three of IDW. Right. Exactly. Exactly. At the very least. Okay. All right. Any other business? I have no business. Except like for business. I would like to thank everybody for sticking around because. Uh, as of the recording, we're actually going through a little hiatus as far as posting because of some web issues. So if you're still listening to us after we took the uh, unexpected hiatus, uh, thank you. And uh, we'll try not to have these problems Good anymore. Point. We've got Taurus working on it, so hopefully we'll be back up and uh, downloading. Yeah, too bad we didn't get... Uh, we need to get Scotty, the miracle worker. Exactly! <laughs> and then find a guardian of forever so that we can go back in time and post the ones that we missed when right. they were supposed to be posted. Okay, well. So we'll resolve that as soon as possible. Well, if you're listening to this, we've already resolved it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope. Well, obviously, by definition. Right. Good point. All right. Until then, take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. 
You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.